I think now we have gone live. Hello, Hi, Chris, I'm Paul, and everybody else who's um, who's joining us, we're still learning. So don't, please forgive us. I still can't remember that we only go live when that red thing comes up on the screen. So I'll introduce us all. So my name is Claire Kennedy. I am the founder and chief executive officer of our newly registered charity, Kennedy Street. And Kevin is our fabulous patron. We've got two wonderful gentlemen joining us today. We've got Paul and Chris, who are brothers. So they're going to bring a whole new perspective to the the, the theme of this month um, is, is family recovery. And um, I'm really excited to hear both your stories, I think. You know, between us, we carry, we carry a powerful message. And that is the purpose of these talks, to carry the message to the still suffering. Ultimately, is we want to give people hope and we want to get show them that actually recovery is possible. Doesn't matter how long it takes, doesn't matter how many routes you go around. Um, but, you know, as long as you're, you, you've got one foot in front of the other and you, you're giving it a go. Go on, Kev, I'll hand it over to you if you can do our little intro. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Kevin. Uh, I hope you're all well and I hope you're all surviving this lockdown. Just to reiterate basically what Claire said, we are Kennedy Street Charity. Uh, we do have, thanks to the lottery who gave us um, some some money, we now have a connections helpline, which is 01273-758-561. Uh, and basically this, this month we're talking about family recovery, which is... Um, for every one addict, there is maybe six or seven people that are are affected, and they're usually their close family. So what we're trying to do this month is is talk about that and, and see what help we can get to you. And today we have the lovely Paul and the lovely Chris, who are, who are going to who are brothers, by the way, and who are going to tell us about their recovery. Yeah. So over to you. Whoever who wants to start first? Who wants to tell us their stories first? Do you want to go first, Rob? Oh, that's nice. it's amazing. No argument. I mean, two brothers not arguing. This is uh, maybe yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Thanks, thanks for allowing me to go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking me to, to come along and, sh and share with you. And um, yeah, my name's Paul, and I'm an addict and I'm, and I'm an alcoholic too. And yeah, my story is uh, is not pretty. Um, I was first, you know. As as a drinker, as a you know, a, as an addict, I started out really as a pothead. I just smoked lots of weed. Well, it was it was solid then. It was um, like cannabis resin. I started out smoking that, and I thought that that would just be my journey, and I, and that I'll just smoke pot forever for the rest of my life. Um, but you know, this uh, in I left school eighty eight. Um, we would smoking a lot at school. Um, took my exams, left school, done an apprenticeship as a furniture restorer. And, and, and you know, this was right at the height of the rave scene. It just like 89, the rave scene come in. So I'd done a three-year apprenticeship. And how I achieved that now, looking back, I don't know, because I was just popping lots of ecstasy, um, going out every weekend. I lived just for, for the weekend, the Friday and then I'd rock into work on a Monday. Some Mondays I did. Some some Mondays I phoned in, um, and it was just my life revolved around that. And 
and now like I'm 48 years old and I look back at that and I think that you know what happened is I never grew up I just all my friends you know started to get mortgages and settled down and you know they, they settled down and they stayed settled down but I didn't I just wanted to I wanted to party and uh I got back with a girl a girl that I was with when I was 12 years old and by 21 I was married three kids um after two years of being married I was just I, I I didn't I felt I didn't love her but I stayed in that relationship for 15 years we were married for 15 years and uh but I just put that woman through hell and the three kids too and um you know there was police at the door there would you know if I come home drunk she'd just pick up the phone and and the, you know and the, and I still see the fear in the kids eyes as well sometimes you know that um of the police and I'll, as soon as you say police I'll be on my toes I'll be gone you know and um you know I'd be gone for I'd, I'd go out on a Friday and I'd, I didn't come home till Sunday night and I'd just go missing this is before mobile phones and she couldn't get hold of me and I'd and I had no respect for anyone I was just wrapped in myself all I cared about is where the next drug or drink was coming from um and I'd be you know towel between my legs going home going I'm sorry I'm sorry I won't do it and you know and sometimes on men I won't do it again and I you know I could see that I had a problem but I didn't know that there was a way that you know I didn't know that I was an alcoholic I didn't know that you know I didn't know there's a way out and um by 29 you know she just kept throwing me out and um you know i'll go back to mum's for three months and then i'd get sober and she, and then i'd prove that i'd done something about it and and she'd have me back and then i'd get my feet under the table and i'd think oh you know i've earned a drink i've earned a drink and uh and i'd go and have another drink and then the roller coaster would start again you know until the point at 29 she she's just like I'm done I've had enough I can't I can't take any more of this and um and I went to you know one Sunday I remember it vividly what happened um she chucked me out I was up mum's just crying and I picked up the yellow pages which was like a brick back then um and AA was right at the front and I, I phoned the AA helpline and a guy told this guy who was on the other end of the phone what what was going on. And he asked me where I was, and he come and picked me up, and he took me to an AA meeting. And I remember it. It was in Worthing. Um, he drove me to Worthing. I was shaking. Um, they had cup and saucers, <laughs> and they gave me half a cup of tea because I was rattling. And um, and I, you know, I was like, "What are they doing to me?" I couldn't hold this cup, and I just felt as though everyone was looking at me. But you know, the seed was sown for me there, right there. Um, and it took me, uh, you know, after coming into going to AA meetings, I met, I, I got talking to a girl outside a meeting. She told me about a treatment centre. I went to the treatment centre, and I went back to that treatment centre four times. And uh, you know, back then you'd done a long old stretch, and the last two. You know, I'd done nine and a half months and at, at the end of the nine and a half, my daughter was having dramas at home. 
and they offered her a council place, but an adult had to be with her because she was 16. And I walked out of the treatment centre and I said, I'm going to look after my daughter. And within five weeks later, I was back in the treatment centre, you know, banging on the door saying, please have me back. And, and they said, it's the last chance saloon, Paul, you, we'll have you back this time. We will not have you back again. And uh, I went back and done another nine and a half, but not this, you know, there was something in me that wasn't, I wouldn't, you know, it says we talk that, you know, you have to, the, the idea to drink like a gentleman has to be smashed for me to get recovery. And uh, I still would hold on to that. Maybe one day, maybe one day. And um, yeah, um, and, us, and, and after two and a half years, I went and drank again. Um, you know, today's a very poignant day for me because today, 10 years ago, I lost my partner for 10 years today. And, uh, and what, why it is, it's A, because yeah, I lost her, uh, and B, is because when she was dying and we were taking turns to sit with her at the hospital, she, uh, she said to me, you know, because I was in recovery, and she said, you know, just... You know, if you think of a drink, just see my face in the glass. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But at nine o'clock when I got the call from her sister to say she's gone and I went to the hospital and I, I saw her, um, this time 10 years ago, that evening, I was drunk, you know, because I couldn't deal, I didn't know how to deal with trauma or upset or, you know, any, I didn't know how to deal with that. And... Uh, and I went and took a drink and I threw my sobriety away, um, you know, uh, because, uh, because, I couldn't, because I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with loss. I couldn't deal with you know, emotions. And, you know, and here I am today, I'm, you know, I, I basically, I, when, I, when I threw the towel in, I was with in, in a relationship, another relationship, and she ended up getting, we ended up, we're both having a cocaine habit. And, um, and I walked away from that. I ended up in a hostel with just a black bag and then I went into a bed and breakfast with nothing. Uh, sorry, a, a bed sit with nothing and um, just literally a black bag and a, and a duvet. And uh, I, I woke up one morning and, and I knew that I'd had recovery and, and uh, I said that tomorrow, you know, I was on probation. I had a court order that I had to get sober. and. Um, and I woke up the next day and said, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I, you know, I was had a counselling. I was, I was rocking up to probation drunk. I was rocking up to counselling drunk. Um, and they said, you're breaching your conditions. And, you know, and I was looking at jail and, uh, and I rolled out of bed that morning, six o'clock. And I got on my knees and said to, and prayed that please don't have a drink today. Um, I, I, I happened to put my card in the machine at the cash point and uh, and there was a hundred pounds and the rent was 90 and I decided it's fight or flight. You know, do I pay the rent or do I um, carry on smashing myself to pieces? And I decided that I would pay the rent and keep the roof over my head. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that was on a Friday and, uh, and I've done that and I went to a, a homeless place and got a shower and I had a you know, full grown beard, not out of choice um, because I couldn't be bothered to take personal care. Um, and yeah, I, I, 
I stood at this door at eight o'clock in the morning and I went in and had a shower and got, you know, a toothbrush and freshened up. You know, my personal hygiene had just gone to pieces through, you know, being being ruled by addiction and um, and slowly, you know, I met I met a girl and she uh, spent twenty five quid on me, who was she was in recovery and she filled my cupboards, it, you know, and uh, I realised that I was with the people that I should be with and. And now I'm five years and four months clean and sober um, due to, uh, you know, actually surrendering and going, you know what, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So, you know, my advice is never give in because, you know, I had 14 years of relapsing, of being a serial relapser, you know, getting a, I wouldn't let go of cannabis. I'd let go of the alcohol, but I wouldn't let go of cannabis. And you know, I would. You know, oh, oh I can have, a, I can have a line of cocaine, but if I don't drink, drink's my problem. Until I finally learned that, uh, you know, everything is my problem. Any substance is my problem, and uh, and I put it all down. And, and until I actually got it, but you know, it. I'm, I know people that they did give in, and uh, and they're not here. And I've been to funerals because they never that because they gave in and they never they never come back again and um i'm you know i'm luck i'm fortunate that you know through everything i always you know it, it does get harder to to get recovery again but you know i had to face people that i'd upset you know there'd be people i'd be dread seeing because i think oh no, you know i'd have to swallow my pride and just apologize and say that you know that wasn't me that was that was my addiction and um you know I, I know this is this is about brothers in recovery and um yeah there's 11 year gap between me and chris and i'm the oldest and there's two in between us and um but i'm an alcoholic he reckons he's an alcoholic <laughs> and uh the two in between us i don't think they are i don't think they've uh they, they don't qualify and they, they, they don't even, they don't even take a drink. And, you know, it, sometimes like in the past I've questioned, oh, why, why am I like this? And because, you know, we grew up in a, we grew up in an, um, a drinking family. We come from, you know, my mum's my one of eight children and my dad's one of the same. And there was always a party. There was always an excuse for a party. There was always a wedding, an 18th, there was an engagement. There was every, you know, every year there was, and we were, we had, a drink was put in our hands, you know. But our parents weren't drinkers. Um, they just drank on occasions. They drank. My dad on New Year's Day would go to a, a working man's club and get and get drunk, and he only done it once a year. And then we every year we were fortunate enough we went on holiday every year as children, um, and our parents drank then they drank for the, them two weeks, but then they didn't touch it again. They wouldn't do that from one year to the next. And, but what they were is they had an ism because they, they were workaholics and whether that played a part in me, you know, because they were, you know, my mom had a couple of jobs and my dad was a foreman and he was out all the time and we rarely saw them during the week. We rarely saw our parents, but I don't know whether that was why, it had an impact on me or Chris. I don't know, but I don't question it today. But I don't hold any resentments to my parents for 
just trying to make the best for us. They, they, that's all they were trying to do. They were just trying to make a good life for us kids. And, you know, and, you know, they, my mum would get a loan every Christmas to give us a good Christmas. So when she finished paying the loan in December, she'd get another loan. And that was just so that we had the best Christmas. So, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's how, that's how it was and that's how it is. And, uh, but it's what, you know, what, what I do about it today. And, and I'll try for it not to affect my life today. Um, and yeah, it, my life's turned around. It's like I'm a million miles away from my last drink um, today. I might not be tomorrow. Something might come along and like rattle my boat, which it does. You know, my life's not, you know, I've been, I'm going through a little bit of stuff at the moment with my, my kids. Um, and I thought when I stopped drinking, that everything would be amazing. And the reality of life, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not always like that. And, you know, and I, I thought that we'll, we'll be just be skipping through the tulips for the rest of my life. And it's not, not quite like that. Um, but it's a lot better than what it is when I'm dodging policemen and uh, um, yeah, getting myself into all sorts of troubles and in and out of court. Um, for this and that, which are just you know, I haven't I haven't been arrested for five years, which is amazing. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's a completely different life. And and, and I hope that I continue to to carry on this life. And um, yeah, that's, and that's me. I think um, that's my fifteen minutes. <laughs> wow, amazing! Thank you so much, Paul. That was such such a powerful. Such a powerful message. Um, so much identification, um, as I'm sure Kev has. Um, before Kev and I get involved in feeding back or, or you know, just sharing back with you, um, I'll just add, you know, like if anybody's watching and they get any identification, um, you know, we put we we stream across the bottom of our talks um all of the different fellowship um websites so people can can find out a little bit more about where recovery lies in their communities. We do get a lot of people contacting us after these talks and we can direct them to whichever fellowship best suits them or whichever um recovery pathway suits them. We don't just integrate people into um, into um, fellowship. We integrate them into, you know, counselling services, treatment services, wherever they need to be um, supported into, really. So thank you so much, Paul. Um, we, we'll, we will thank share you. that to you in a little while. Um, I will hand over to your your lovely brother and, and let him share his experience, strength and hope with us. And then we can all have a, a chat. So thank you again, Paul. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I got quite choked up when Paul was talking now, actually thinking about family and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's a big, big thing. We were a family, for me, we were a family. We didn't have a lot, but we had enough. And by what I mean by that, we had both. And, um, my parents weren't always there because of their, their, their isms. They were workers. And and I grew up wondering, you know, sort of not not bringing myself up because there was always someone there to look after me. But, you know, there's times I'd come home from school. My mum and dad wouldn't necessarily be there when, you know, you, you want to talk to your parents about this has gone on and that's gone on. And maybe by the time they come home, those problems weren't so so prevalent so so 
so big. Um, so I spent a lot of my time sort of bringing myself up, or that's what it felt like. Um, I was a fearful kid. Um, and yeah, I, I was, you know, our, our house that we we were lived in was my nan and granddad's house. Uh, so it was the family house. It's like the song from Madness. Our house always had a crowd, and there was always something happening. And um, and everyone descended on a Saturday, and it was a big. We were such a close knit family, and I love my family. I love every single one of them. Um, you know, and um, but we were we were what Paul said. We were brought up around drink um, to an extent that drink was okay, but drugs were bad. Um, and I see here a cocaine addicted alcoholic and I definitely am one I don't just think I'm one I definitely am one um, you know it, it, for me it's it, and I hope you know I, I was going to pick a drink up at some point whether I was handed one or whether I picked one up myself it doesn't matter to me um, and I always aspired to be that person sitting at a bar holding court you know it was it was about finishing work and getting down a pub um, and that was from a young age that was what that's not all I aspired to be, you know, there was dreams of rock and roll star and, and what have you, but, you know, what I, I could see a, a career path being that on, that being me on a Friday going down the pub and, you know, in your work gear, holding court and just being, you know, surrounded by like-minded fellows and, uh, or people, should I say, um, and, 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 yeah, the holidays, we would, we would leave, we would leave early, we would find, we'd plot up, we'd get somewhere, Usually, it was always in this country. We'd drive to somewhere. We'd be there by midday so we could get in the pub. Um, and like I say, my mum and dad, they weren't they weren't um, alcoholics or addicts. They, they might have had the other, other isms of one thing or another. But, um, but yeah, um, it, our family was, it was surrounded by drink um, and not so much the drugs. You know, I'm, I'm a child of the, the 80s. So by the time I was you know, getting into my 20s, it was, it was the 90s were were just finishing and I was, uh, you know, it, drugs were a thing more prevalent than when my, my aunties and uncles were growing up. You know, they were there, but they weren't as weren't as readily available. Um, so my belief is that I was always going to pick up a drug as well, just because it was so available. And I can't speak for anyone else, I can only speak for me, but that, that went hand in hand for me. Certainly being able to carry on drinking, um, drugs were a big thing. Um, but gr growing up, you know, I had to live with with Paul's drinking. Um, my my drinking story was one of of the same sort of stuff, you know, but maybe not as out there. Or there were there weren't many policemen knocking the door. Um, but I had to grow up with with living with Paul, coming home three months at a time, you know, potentially giving up a bedroom or, or whatever, or at least just upheaval. Um, and, and I've always said he's the reason I shouldn't be where I am. Um, but it just goes to show it doesn't matter what, you know, we, there's four of us in our, in our four siblings. And like I said, there's two of us that are and two of us aren't. And, um, and you know, I'm, I was never going to learn from his mistakes because I had to make my own. Um, and the reason I'll come on it today really is more about how I got in um, to the fellowship. You know, I, 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 like Paul, got married young, uh, and I've got five children, so I, you know, I spent a long time being a father and not necessarily having a, uh, I never, never got it out of my system, um, but I also know now that if I'd have got it out of my system and had kids like late, I probably still wouldn't have wanted to get it out of my system, I still would have had another 10, 
20 years of drinking on top of it. Um, because now I know that actually, like Paul said, I didn't grow up. I still haven't grown up. And it's, uh, it's now it's quite nice, I think. Anyway, you have to ask my, my kids that. But, you know, being that kid mucking about. Um, but before, it was, it was, I was never present for anybody. You know, I, I was sat on the sofa and it was like when you see in a film and everything's like sped up. That was that was the evenings in my house. I'd come home, I'd have already had a few drinks on the train. I then sit down and proceeded to drink until I fell asleep on the sofa, um, and then eventually two, three o'clock in the morning, I'd get up and go back to bed. But everything seemed to be going on around me. I was there in body, but I wasn't there in spirit or mentally. Um, I was just there, uh, and whenever I got let off the leash, and then all bets were off. Nobody knew when I was coming home. Nobody, and, and other t when my drinking really took off, nobody knew if I, even if I was coming home. That was the other thing. It was, it, it was, it was, it was hard because I knew after a couple of months that actually that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to be that person. But you can have all the willpower in the world. I've run, I've run a marathon. I've, I've trained. You know, I, you know, there's plenty of things that I can do in the day-to-day -day living, but give me a drink and I don't know when I'm going to stop. I don't know what point and where it's going to take me. I know it's going to be bad. Um, and I come in around 2016, thanks, to, and on a Sunday, funnily enough, thanks to my brother and thanks to my, my wife, you know, um, because what she did, she kicked me out and she gave me the gift, gift of desperation. I needed to go to a place um, of of darkness. I was already in a dark place. I was in a very, very dark place. I was I was ill, as we learned from from our books. I wasn't well. It wasn't it wasn't through choice. It wasn't through anything. I was ill. I was sick. Um, I kicked off craving in my body and in my mind and in my soul. That um, when I was waking up, when I was having a drink, when I woke up in the morning. It never took me to that place, but I was always planning my next one. And it might be, we'll get to three o'clock because then that's an acceptable time to have a beer, you know. Or I'll, you know, however, it, however I could, I could make it sound all right in my own head. But that's that's that conversation that I had in my head started from the moment I woke up. Now you can look at other people and go, "Well, you're not an alcoholic. You weren't waking up and having a drink from the moment you woke up." But I was because I was thinking about having a drink from the moment I woke up. I just managed to put a, put a front on for everyone else, um, and it got to a point. It was August, July, August of 2016. I'd, yeah, I was at my lowest point ever, and we went on holiday. My wife was getting ready to divorce me. Uh, I didn't know that, or certainly she was looking, in the process of looking at. You know where, where we go from here. Um, we went on holiday. It was a make or break holiday that um, I found out since because I was so blasé about what was going on in my life that I didn't know anything that if this was happening. Um, we went away. We come back, and I picked up where I left off. To be fair, I hadn't stopped drinking when I was away, but the um, uh, drugs was a big thing for me in, in the later start start uh, to end towards my drinking and using career. Drugs was becoming a more more prevalent thing whereas drink was every day drugs was few and far between before but in the end it was it was more more often than not that I was using as well and um, I 
we come back and on the Saturday night, a week after we come back from holiday, I said I was going for a run and I didn't come home for three or four hours, maybe even longer than that, I don't know. Um, and my wife had not been speaking to Paul at this point. There was, there was a, a bit of friction between the two of them and, and that night she reached out to him because, because he's my brother, but also because he's, he's went before me, like many of you lot have, you know, many other people that we are friends with have gone before me. And, and yesterday being a big day for for the fellowships, being the 85th anniversary or whatever, or we might even be older than that, I'm not sure, but, you know, it was a big day for for, for people like us that were in recovery. And, um, and and that was what my brother did that night. What he did, he come over on the Sunday and he picked me up. And, um, and he did what was done to him. But it was, what was done to him was done by someone unknown. What was done to me was what happened to be by my brother. And um, and he was advised that he had to let me find my own path. And, and I can't speak for him, but I, I know that that was the case. But what he did was he opened a door for me. And that night I went to Chapel Royal Sunday night. We'd been to another meeting before that. Um, but we, we, we sort of missed a little bit of dinner it is. And I went to Chapel Royal that night. And I was hit by a lightning bolt. Um, I, I heard my story being told, and it was by a woman who was older than me, but she told, you know, and I, I, there was that, you hear in the rooms that, you know, there were actors in the room, what have you, but, and I've probably heard that story a few times, or a few, many, many, many times from the meetings I've been in, people have told my story, none of them hit me the way it did that day. Um, I was beaten enough, I was broken, and, um, and so going from someone who, I shouldn't have been, the reason I shouldn't be where I am today, to being the person who opened the door for me, that's that's big stuff for me. Um, and I knuckled down, I did two and a half years, I, I've got relapse in my story too, um, and I did two and a half years. I didn't understand what I was doing the first time around. Um, I went to meetings, I had service, I worked the steps, and, and I did everything that I thought was right. Um, but once I went back into the real world, that's when life became difficult. I tried to do everything and nothing. I went, gave it all at meetings at one point and then work and family life fell apart. Then I gave it all to my family and then my AA life fell apart and all my other fellowships that I'm in, my CA life, which is my other groups. Uh, I wasn't going to mention my fellowships, but I'll let that sit now. But, um, um, yeah, so so then, but then, then that would stop and then I would move on. You know, I try and give it all to work and then everything else would fall apart. And I trudged for a while and, and again it got to, I was two days from two and a half years and I picked a drink up and then I carried that. I then threw myself back into it. I got involved in, in the fellowships more. I tried to work out what I was doing wrong the first time around and and I'm still not quite sure what what, what happened. Um, but like was shared just a minute ago, drinking like a gentleman, I... I went back out again. I carried that relapse for a long time. Um, not quite happy with it, but, you know, not being able to accept that I'm an alcoholic and I wake up every morning and I want to drink and I'm going to drink if I don't do what's suggested. Um, and and I carried it around like, you know, like a big black sack of doom, I suppose. Uh, you know, it was, I couldn't get over the fact that I'd given up two and a half years of sobriety um, for the sake of a drink. And I carried it, and then I went back out. Um, I went back out, and I, and I knew it wasn't. I wasn't going to be able to drink like a gentleman. I knew um, I was going. I was going out for health and whatever, and I, and I, and 
I did what I've always done, which was run away from my problems. Uh, but this time around, I like to believe it's different. Um, it's taken a lot, and, I, and I've had to really, really put a lot more effort into this time. But the one thing that for me it was, we talk about higher power, and the beauty of our fellowships is that we don't put a label on it. Um, but um, I had to really develop something um, that I believe now is really the one thing I was doing wrong. And I, before I didn't know that I was doing it wrong, before I didn't know that, you know, it wasn't working for me. And, and one thing that neither of us have mentioned is that our, my parents have both passed away. Um, being that much younger, I was 19 when my mum dad, my mum passed away. And I think I was 21, 22 when my dad passed. And I always believed that they were going to keep me sober. Um, I always believed that they were my higher power. Uh, and I believe that they're keeping an eye out for me. But now I know that they're, they're, they weren't enough to keep me sober. I also know that nobody's enough to keep me sober. The only person that's going to keep me sober is, is me. Uh, thankfully, the people that have gone before me have shown the way. But um, nothing can keep me sober other than me putting the work in. I don't know what tomorrow brings. All I know is that today, I haven't had a drink. And it might be midday, and some people might think that that's not an achievement. But for an alcoholic of my standard type, that is an achievement. And um, and I'm going to leave it there. Um, but yeah, any if I if I've got one piece of advice to anyone who's struggling, don't hesitate to pick the phone up. And if you are, if you've been about, and you know what you know what this is about, and you can't be taught, uh, or you don't believe you can be taught, you can always be taught. Just keep it simple and come back if you if you feel like you need to. Amazing. Thank you, Chris. That was a really, really powerful message as well. Wow. What really identified with both of you. Um, yeah, and if there is anybody watching and you've got any questions that you want to ask either Paul or Chris, um, you know, please feel free to comment um, and we will put the questions to um, Paul and Chris towards the end of our chat. Um, yeah, thank you so much, honestly. I, I, I'm going to hand over to Kev. Um, and I'm just going to put my camera off a minute because somebody's left the door open out there and all I can hear is Kev feeding back in, in the back of my ear. So thank you. I'll be back in one sec. Uh, well, <clears throat> I have to say um, it's a privilege, always a privilege to hear uh, your stories. Um, and believe me when I tell you that people who are listening to this, you know, will get a lot from it. Uh, but I have a question Question for both of you, really. When you, Paul, obviously you were sober first. Um, when you took your brother, um, just how difficult was that? Were you advised against it because he's a close family member? And and Chris, yeah. um, and were, were you resentful of the fact that your brother was sober and taking you, or was it was it done with love and, and, and with uh, good intentions? Yeah, um, for me, I was I was over the moon to be taking him at the time, and you know I was I was glad that his wife had reached out for me, uh, reached out to me, and um, for you know for various reasons because there was conflict between me and his wife. He hadn't spoken for two years, and she asked for my help, and to know that you know because I had my thoughts of my brother, thinking is he ain't he? He'd mention a little bit to me. We go to watch a football match and go, I think I've got a problem. I'll go, no, you ain't. You're, you're not half as bad as me. You know, you, you haven't come close to where I've been, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't accept it. But the day I got the call, I was like, shit, he really is in trouble. And uh, 
But to take him was that was the easy bit. And when I spoke to my sponsor about it, he said you need to take a step back and you need to let someone else take over. He needs to find someone to help him because family members can't help. A fam- you know, you can't help. It show show him, you know, show him the first part about it, but let someone else do the work because, you know, there's stuff that I wouldn't want my brother knowing about me, you mm. know. So to open up to to someone and say all my dark darkest secrets, that has to be to someone that that doesn't know me, and, and I mm. found that easier. And I and I guess it's the same for him. But you know, the initial the start of it was okay, but then I had you know I had him with me for three days, and he went, I'm going home, and then. I'm just like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing going home? You, you know, stay here. And, and he was like, I'm going to a meeting. And I was like, because he wasn't asking me to take him, I was thinking he's going to go and have a drink. And then, you know, and I'm looking to see, has he had a drink? Has he not have a drink? So I'm playing the babysitter part then. You know, I'm babysitting him. And that's the bit, that's the difficult bit. That's the part where I think a family member can't, you know, can't, taken through the, the it wouldn't happen you, you couldn't you couldn't take someone for the whole of your recovery your brother wouldn't be able to do it for them reasons alone so so yeah it, it is it is difficult it is difficult but but now it's not i i love if he says i'm going to a meeting or i walk into a meeting and he's there it's just that's amazing it's just that's just amazing you know and i, and I know i've had to i've had to own a few things to him and say look you know i can't share about this stuff in a meeting because you don't know about that and i'm going to tell you you know right. so you know i had to I had to clear that so that i could actually talk about other stuff because i like he's in i can't share he's in the meeting so yeah i think what's brilliant as well is that the, the healing went further because it was uh chris's wife who who you weren't talking to for whatever reason yeah. and she reached out to you to, to help him and, and presumably you get on now yeah yeah absolutely yeah. better than we ever did to be honest right. with you yeah and chris did you sorry you, chris were you resentful of the fact that your brother had turned up to take you to a meeting did you think oh, no no no, not at all. Um, deep down, I had a lot of hidden resentments towards him when I was growing up. You know that. You know, but it's stuff that I didn't understand because I wasn't an addict then, or I was, but I was. I was slowly developing. Um, you know, the, those those Sunday mornings or Monday mornings, and and you get an apology, but it would it would seem like a, a not a sincere one. Mm. Uh, and now I know that actually, deep down, we all want to knock it on the head. Um, so, no, there was a few resemblance from from growing up, but that, that, they 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 weren't they weren't proper resemblance if you catch if you didn't know what I mean. There was stuff that I I'd, I'd held a little bit for a while, but but the fact that he was able to open the door, well, well, well you know, he was my hero growing up. Um, anyway, and for him to be able to open the door for me, it, it was was bigger than anything, you know. It, it, there was never any animosity. Um, I suppose in looking at other people's recovery, if, so, if he'd have said to me, I think you've got a problem, in the midst of it, I probably would have told him to do one um, because I didn't believe it until I was desperate. Um, the fact that I was desperate and then, then I didn't ask for help, but he came and helped me. Um, yeah, it was, it, that was amazing for me. Um, and once I went to that first meeting, after that, like I say, it was me going to the meetings. I took myself to the yeah. meetings. It gave me a world to find a little book and a 24-hour chip. 
you know, which I still have all three. Well, I don't have the web to find anymore, I don't think. But I have the little book still carried out with me. And I have a 24-hour chip. And that means more to me than any of the other ones I've collected. Um, because, again, it comes from him, not from anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's big for me. Um, but I'm, I'm, that lightning bolt hit me and I knew where I, you know, I was home. You know, I've got I've got a lot of family that don't understand. And I've got a lot of family in the room that do understand. And, um, and I'm blessed to have two families. Okay. And I'm blessed that my brother's in both of camps. Brilliant. Brilliant. And this is, again, this is a question for Paul, or even indeed both of you, really, but more so Paul, because you're now, obviously, you're estranged from your from your ex-wife. Uh, but I'm just thinking of the person out there now who might have been, he's been thrown out, uh, uh, I'm hopefully watching this, or someone who knows someone who's in this, the same situation you were when you, when you, when you were thrown out and the children were at home and can you can you describe to me answer for them um the hope of the fact that you you left under a cloud and your relationship with your children then and your relationship with your children now that you're you're you're, you're sober uh it's just to give them some hope for someone who sat out there in the same situation that you were in paul <laughs> yeah it's it's immeasurable it's i mean from from um, they say sorry i missed that sorry there's a, there's a delay um, yeah no it's I, i'm a million miles away from what it was you know my lot my hello can you hear me no. I can't hear you, but there is a slight delay. So, yeah, you keep Hello? talking. Um, I'm going to talk. Yeah, no, I'm. Mi- All right. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm a million miles away from um, from where I was with my kids when I was drinking and where I am now. You know, um, but it does take it takes time to get. You know. But, when I was told, you know, when I first came into recovery, I wanted to repair it today. I wanted to repair the damage today. And, it, you know, I was told, you know, give time, time and just, um, you know, just it, it will come in time. But at the early stages, you can't see that and you want it, you want it quick. But um, it, it has, you know, after four years of being sober, I know, I've, you know, I put on Facebook, you know, I'm four years sober and my, you know, my son, you know, congratulations to my dad, four years sober, smashing it. And I absolutely just sobbed because he was the, the, he's the youngest one, but he's the longest one to come around to it, you know, to recognize that I've made an effort and I've changed. I don't bring upset to him anymore. And, uh, and that was just like, that was a massive thing for me. And, and they, they all have, they're all very proud of me. Um, and, you know, I I can't never forget about what I've done, but you know, I don't. I, I'm not plagued by it anymore. But you know, to, my outlook now is that day every day that I don't have a drink is I'm making a, I'm making an amends to my children because I'm not, you know, just for them to phone me at any point of the day, and they they know that I'm going to be at the other end of the phone sober rather than as he had a drink, he's pissed. You know, he's he's had a drink again. He's off his head. You know, they don't have that. They don't have that worry and fear anymore. And you know, you, but you, you can't. My advice is is just not to let go of any hope. Uh, you know, you have to. 
you have to keep holding on to hope that you know it's one day it will get better and inevitably it, it will you know never you know my the brother next down from me is three years younger than me he you know i went and made an amends to him and he just said i'm not interested i'm not interested don't want to know you don't come to my house don't want you in my house you're not welcome you know five years later it's not like that it's not my relationship with him has changed so yeah you just got to hold on to every bit of hope you got and just keep going because if you give up then you give up and you've got a drink in your hand again you don't get nowhere really yeah i couldn't agree more how about you chris i mean i know you i can't believe you've got five children i didn't know that i mean, I, I i know you but i'm thinking five children come back on a secret yeah, wow. Kids on TV. wow so what tell us about some of some of the joys um that that recovery's brought to your family and, and like we just heard from paul you know these transformations that people experience is phenomenal um so how how has your recovery impacted your family Chris? it's just i brought i'm not just my 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 kids um i robbed a lot of people of their peace of mind um I know when my mum passed away, one she she asked one of my aunties to look out for me. Maybe it was because I was younger, or maybe she spotted something in me that I didn't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I robbed a lot of people of peace of mind. And today, when I walked through the door, and um, I think I worked last night, and I'm working again tonight. Um, and when I walked through the door this morning, they're not wondering what's coming through the door. Um, they're not wondering if I'm going to walk through the door, because actually they know full well that when I say I'm going to be home today. I'm going to be home today. Um, I do have to get the train, so it's not always hard and fast. But generally, um, it's not. I'm, Dad's Dad's got to Brighton Station and he's gone for a drink uh, because that was the end of my drinking career. Um, my three kids, my, I've got five, but three of my oldest ones. I've got. It's, we're we're a funny old family. I've got three that are home educated and, uh, and two. So not only are have we got a lot going on, we are teaching the kids as well, but. So my eldest is going back to college in, uh, in August. She's 19, and she's going to do some adventure sports. My, my next one down, 16, is going to college to do music. And then my 14-year-old's going to college as well because she's home-educated and she can't do floristry. And I can be there for every single one of those kids. You know, this is a new venture for two of them, and one of them's going back to college. And being able to ask them, how they're doing and for them to be able to confide in me is you can't i can't put a words to it how good it is you know and and most of the muggles out there that, that aren't like us don't understand what a blessing that is you know what how how big that is for an for an addict of my time to be able to be there for my kids because that's the person i am that's the person without a drink in me that i am that wasn't the person I was when I was drinking. And that's not the person I will be if I'm picking up one up. You know, my kids have been through a lot. Um, at the times where they didn't know if I was coming home. You know, they didn't know where I was, was for days on end. Um, and, and, now, and now they know when I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. Um, and people can look at addiction and, and alcoholism as... It's just willpower. If you've got willpower, you'll be all right. I know for well that that's not the case. I know I know that's not me. So being able to be there for my children 
is is is, is mental. You know, it's, it blows me away on a daily basis that I can be the, the father that I was that my mum and dad would have wanted me to be. Amazing, really beautiful message. And it's the simple things, isn't it, that that maybe I love that you call them muggles. The muggles are civilians out there that, that aren't um, affected by um, addiction. You know, it's the simple things that that, um, that we really, really, truly appreciate. And those are some of the most precious gifts of, of sobriety and recovery. You know, being able to just wake up in the morning and know that you've not, you know, destroyed any anybody's lives or upset anyone or, you know, simple things like, you know, having conversations. Do you want to say something? When he leans forward like that, it means he wants to say something. I just want to mention the people that have actually uh, commented. Uh, I won't give all the full names, but it's, it's, uh, thank, hello, John. Uh, uh, good morning, Jane. Thank you. Uh, Bob says a good share. Kylie, resonating with everything you say, Paul. Uh, Sinead. Um, great job, Paul. Amazing message. Uh, Bob again. Um, and Gary Wilson says, hi, Claire. Um, so I sort of say hello to all those people. Um, and again, I, I just have to reiterate what, what a, a privilege it was to hear to hear your stories. And, you know, hats off to you. It, t- it takes courage and guts to, to come on something like this and really expose your life and your your addictions like this but having said that on the you've come through the other side uh, a day at a time of course but the rewards that you've been describing is has to i have to say this it's very very attractive to people are out there uh, who are struggling now uh it, that's the carrot that's 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 the, the money shot for us is people who might have listened to they might not listen to any of the story apart from the fact that things are now okay uh, so I, I need to thank you very much for that um and and again if you are struggling out there please get in contact with us the recovery connections helpline is un- underneath and what we can do is we can signpost you to the right place we can get your help we don't want anything from you we don't want any money from you we, all we want to do is to to signpost you in the right place so your story um, if it's at the, like the, your story now is like the beginning of Paul's story or Chrissy's story, your story can be the end of their story and it can be your story. Uh, and that's all I, I, I really needed to say at that point. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like Kev said, if if you're thinking about, you know, do I have a drink or a drug problem, you know, it could be anything. It could be you could be a family member affected by somebody else's drinking or drug taking. It might even be a gambling problem or um, what? Food. Oh, <laughs> you broke up as you said it. Yeah, yeah. We've got we've got um, really experienced recovery connectors who've had food addictions um, and who are in recovery from that. You know, I think the most important thing that we would reiterate is like these lovely gentlemen have said. You know, this hope, this hope, and the most important thing is just making that decision to to first of all ask for help, and and that's the only requirement for us is. We can't do anything for people, um, but what we can do is for those that have got their hands up for, for change and want want to seek recovery, we'll get alongside them. You know, we're not we're not a service. We don't offer detoxes. You know, we haven't got a rehab. What we do is we get alongside people and we introduce them to amazing people like these two 
fab chaps. What I would say is let's, if I was to ask you, you know, what your hopes are for the future, um, I know it's it's a big question and uh, I hate being asked questions like that, but I really want, I really want, you know, I want to know what your hopes and dreams are for the future too, you know. So let's start with you, Chris. What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Simply more of the same. Um, just more of the same. I've, I've got aspirations. Uh, I sent off script off to the BBC um, about a sitcom, about actually about the fellowship. But the point is today, I don't, I don't put my hopes and dreams on it. When I was in addiction, um, the idea would have come, it would have sat in my head, and I'd have done nothing about it. The fact that I even started the script is massive. The fact that I finished it was amazing, and it, and the fact that I didn't talk myself out of sending it blew me away. But what I want is more of this. Just another day, head on the pillow, not having a drink, um, because I'm a nicer person to be around. Um, so. Other stuff will come if I do the right stuff. But just this, this is all I want. I'm happy with that. Beautiful. Really powerful message. Thank you. What about you, Paul? You're on silent. You've got one mute yourself. Or I can unmute you, actually. There we go. Look at that. I'll check. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean exactly the same really for me it's uh it's just about i just want to continue with with where with where i'm at I'm, you know i'm at five i want ten you know but i can only get to ten one day at a time and uh and that's all that's all i want I do, you know i've got peace between my ears and as as long as i keep that then i'll i can deal with anything that comes my way and uh that's what i've learned in my last five years you know if i've got if I've got peace, if my if my mind's at peace, then I can deal with with the brown letters that come through the door, and and I just want to carry on, continue to. Well, I've got you know I've got financial goals and stuff that I want to meet, and uh, you know, and where I want to do in my uh, work in life and stuff. But that's just normal life. But as far as I am, I just want to remain peaceful. Really, that's about yeah. it. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it's true, it's so important to, to have hopes and dreams. But I think the beautiful thing that recovery gives you is you, we don't have projections. We don't pin our sobriety on the outcome of what we plan in the future. They're just plans and plans change, don't they? You know, that's a great thing. You know, one of the great gifts of recovery is that an ability to live in the day and just go, you know what? Also, want today is to be peaceful, to help somebody who might might be struggling, and to, to be the best person, the best version of ourselves. Which it's really powerful, beautiful message. Thank you so much. If anybody's listening and got any identification with anything that's been talked about today, we stream all the helplines that we can think of connecting people to. If you if you're not sure where to start, you can always ring us, um, and um, either myself or one of our recovery connectors will connect you to whatever resources it is that you need to to start this amazing journey. And I don't say that lightly because this is it is a recovery is a life life changing journey, and um, like you just heard, fabulous. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate both of you so much, and I send you, you all, all love in the world. All right, see you soon then, chaps. <laughs>